Well, good morning, everybody. Let me add my word of welcome to all of you that are gathered for worship this weekend. We are, as Tony said, starting this new series called One Nation Under God, and we're looking at the subject that you voted for on Easter Sunday. Um, How do we as Christians uh, deal with the fact that we live in a society here in this country that seems to be growing more and more polarized every day? And, you know, it does, just doesn't seem to be doing that. It actually is. There's actually been some studies that have shown that. One study was the Pew Research Center. Um, in 1994, they did a study of the political landscape here in America, uh, and they looked at, uh, on the left, in the, that kind of blue mound there is uh, people who are consistently liberal and uh, where the medium uh, Democrat sits, and uh, the red is people are consistently conservative and where the median Republican sits. And, and you'll notice, even though there are some people at the extremes, there were some people at the extremes in 1994, the reality is when you looked at the average Republican and the average Democrat, there really wasn't a huge difference between those. Now, interestingly enough, they repeated that study again a few years later in 2004, so 10 years later, and uh, there was still very little difference between the median Democrat and the median Republican, but there had been kind of a shift in our country towards more liberal viewpoints on issues. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, because a few years later, in uh, 2011, they repeated that study again, and while the median Democrat had really kind of dug in their heels and not shifted much, there was this reaction by conservatives against that new left-leaning position back to the right, and what we began to see for the first time was a greater separation between Democrats and Republicans in our country. They did the study again just three years after that, and look what had happened. The trend continued, and uh, the average Republican and the average Democrat were really much further apart than they ever were before. So if you go back and look, in a mere 20 years in our country, we went from Republicans and Democrats mainly being more in the center of our country to a large split between the two. And here's the thing that I think is the scariest for me. On the left, you can see there were really very few people at the extremes in 1994, but in 2014, the people at the extremes have grown dramatically. In other words, We sense that our country is becoming more polarized, and it's true. The fact is, more and more people are diametrically opposed to other Americans on key issues. And we're talking about very important issues that are kind of all over the map. Things like uh, social issues, like abortion and a woman's right to choose. We're talking about things like immigration and how we deal with new people coming into this country or living in this country. We're talking about things like the environment. Is there a need for a Green New Deal? Or is climate change uh, really not something that is accurately portrayed in the media? There's polarizing subjects when it comes to economics, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, and you know what should the minimum wage be? And maybe our politicians themselves polarize us more than anything else. We can go on and on and on. There are lots of issues that divide us dramatically as a country. And where do we as Christians fall into that? That was the question that really you were asking. How are we as Christians supposed to see ourselves in this changing landscape? Because here's the interesting thing. People on both sides of the issue, Christians on both sides of the issue, claim Jesus. There are people that say, well, Jesus was alive today. Obviously, he'd be a Democrat. And there are people that say, you're nuts. If Jesus was alive today, he would vote Republican. So which is it? Can we even really tell? 
And, uh, and here's maybe, I think, the scariest statistic from my viewpoint. There is one thing that Democrats and Republicans agree on in our country. And what they agree on is the church isn't worth much. The numbers are growing on both sides of the issue, among Democrats and Republicans, among people in the Midwest and the East Coast and the West Coast. And what they're saying is they're still intrigued by Jesus, but when it comes to the church, they really don't think we know what we're talking about. They don't think we, as a family of believers, have much to offer on this issue. So what do we do about that? Well, over these weeks during the month of July, we're going to be taking a look at this issue in some depth. We're really going to take four weeks to dive into how we as Christians live in this polarized political climate. And, uh, and specifically, we want to start this week by listening to some words of Jesus. Because, you see, Jesus came into a world that had a, a strong political divide as well. People were ruled uh, by the Roman government, but, but there were factions fighting against that Roman government, and, and honestly, the, the political tensions were extremely high in Jesus' day. And one day, Jesus sat down um, on a mountain outside of Galilee uh, with a group of people, a group of followers, people who wanted to learn from him, and he preached this thing that we often call the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he started with some words that really have a lot to say for us as Christians in this political landscape. We often call these the Beatitudes. And I want to look at a few of those together with you today. Jesus said these words. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. One, one translation says, blessed are those who work for peace. Now, I don't know about you, but as a Christian, and, and maybe just as, a, as an American citizen, as, as I see this polarization happening in the world around me, my first reaction is to want to disengage. H how many of you sometimes find yourself watching the news less because it's just so painful and you just don't want to see it? Yeah, right? It, it's, it's so easy for us to say as Christians, you know, look, I, I can't do anything to change that stuff, so I, 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 it just makes me upset. I'm just going to ignore it and pray that Jesus comes quickly, right? <laughs> But Jesus doesn't give us that option. He says our job as Christians is to be people who work for peace. And now the word peace here is very interesting. It's the, it's the Hebrew word or the Aramaic word shalom. You may have heard that word before. And literally shalom means more than just I'm going to try to stop people from fighting. Shalom means an active work for the total well-being for both the individual and the community. That's what God's peace is all about. So what Jesus is literally saying to you and me as Christians is holding ourselves up in a monastery somewhere until Jesus comes is not an option for us. That as believers, we have a responsibility to be people who are working for the peace of the society in which we live. And that means we have a responsibility to be working for the well-being, not just of the individuals around us, but the well-being of the community, the well-being of the society. We have a responsibility as Christians, Jesus says, to get involved politically in the land in which we live, in the area in which we live. We have a responsibility to be people that work for peace. Jesus went on to say this. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. 
Or another translation says, blessed are those whose thoughts are pure. And what it's talking about here is that, you know, it's just like you don't tell dirty jokes or something like that. That's not what this is talking about at all. It's really talking about a singularness of focus. And it's a focus on, again, the well-being and the needs of others, not ourselves. You see, sometimes when Christians get involved politically, Honestly, it's for self-seeking motives. They get involved politically uh, because they want to make sure that there are laws in place to protect the rights of other Christians. Or uh, they get involved politically because uh, they want their personal project that they feel passionately about to succeed. Or they get involved personally because they're worried about keeping taxes down for themselves. Jesus is saying that's not an option. See, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? We, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, what we're saying when we pray that prayer is that, that we want to be people that help God's kingdom and his will be at work and in play in the society around us. And that is our focus. And so when we get involved politically, it's not just to get our own opinion out there or to fight for what we believe are our values or to, uh, to again, protect the rights of Christians. When we get involved politically, it's with that focus of helping God's kingdom come and his will be done in the world around us. Jesus went on and he said this, blessed are the meek. Another translation says blessed are the humble. Now I don't know about you, but often when I see Christians involved um, on the political world around us or Christians speaking out on social issues, it's anything but meek and humble. I was uh, in uh, Nashville for the NFL draft this year, and you can imagine, that was just chaos. There were people everywhere, all kinds of stuff going on. But I, I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised a number of times to kind of come around a corner and see a street pe preacher set up with a bunch of signs basically telling everybody, unless they turned around their life, they were all going to hell. You can imagine how that message was received by the crowds. Now, it's not that they weren't saying something that was true. The fact is, apart from Jesus, all of us are in trouble. But it was the way in which that message was being delivered that was the problem. See, the fact is, when you talk to non-Christians about the involvement of Christians in the political sphere, this is what they say, that too often Christians are seen as, first of all, we have all the answers and we want to make sure you know it. We would rather be right than be loving. At least that's the way we're perceived. And finally, that uh, we stand on our conviction, and we stand on that conviction at all costs. It doesn't matter who gets hurt. We're going to stand on our convictions. Now, again, folks, there's, there's an element of truth in all that. We do have the answers. We have God's word. We have God's truth. And it is important to stand on conviction. It's important that we, we help people understand what, what, what is true and what is right. That's important. But when we do it in, in such a way that we're just in people's face, there's no way for them to actually listen to us and hear us. So Jesus says it's important that we are meek, that we are humble. Now, by the way, sometimes when I say that, people say, well, then we're just going to get stepped on. We're not going to get heard. We're not going to get listened to if we're meek. But, but see, you have to understand what the word meek really means here in the original context. It's the same word that was used to describe a, a war horse. In other words, the meekness that Jesus is talking about is not weakness. It's power under control. 
It's humility, recognizing that we have truth and we have the power of God's spirit. And because we have that truth and the power of God's uh, spirit, we can be gentle in the way we present it. We can be humble in the way we approach others with that truth. Jesus went on to say this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or another way to translate that is for justice. People who hunger and thirst for justice, but then he also says, blessed are the merciful. See a little show of hands. How many of you, when you were a kid in grade school, said the Pledge of Allegiance every day? See, I don't know, I don't know if that still happens. But I, I remember every single day in the morning standing up and facing towards the flag. It was up on the wall to the left of the chalkboard. I know that chalkboard kind of dates me a little bit there, right? But, but, but we would stand and we would face that flag with our hands over our hearts and we would say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. And do you still believe that? Do you still believe that our country is a country of freedom, but not just freedom for some, freedom for all? And, and do you believe that our country is a place where not only are we free, but, but, but that, that freedom gives us the opportunity to see that justice is done for everyone? You don't have to look too long to look around in our country and see that it isn't always fair for everyone. That justice isn't always there for all. There are people who are economically and socially disadvantaged. There are people that are still judged because of the color of their skin. There are people that don't receive justice. And Jesus says to you and me that we are to be voices for them, for the broken for the hurting, for the downtrodden in the society around us. We have a responsibility to hunger and thirst for justice, not for ourselves, for all. But Jesus tempered that too, didn't he? He said it's not just about justice being done, it's also about mercy being shared. See, here's the bottom line. We don't get what we deserve, none of us do. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that means if God were to judge all of us with with pure justice, we would all be judged guilty. But Jesus did something about that, didn't he? Jesus willingly took on um, that judgment on himself for us so that we could be judged righteous, so that we could be judged forgiven. Do you know the difference between grace and mercy? I love this. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, but mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And we have all received that mercy from our God. And so while we are to be people that hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness in the world around us, we are to be people that do that with mercy because we ourselves have first received that mercy from God. Now, in and of itself, I get it. All that's terrifying. To be people that have the responsibility to to work actively for peace in the world around us, for the good and the well-being of all. Uh, To be people that take seriously God's charge uh, to to hunger and thirst for justice around us, but, but to approach that with meekness and humility. 
Sounds like we're just going to get crushed in that political landscape out there today. But God made a whole bunch of promises with each and every one of those beatitudes. He promised that, that, that when we are meek, we will inherit the earth. In other words, our cause will win out. He promised that when we hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness, we will be satisfied. We will see that justice happen in the world around us. He promised that if we are merciful, we will also receive that mercy in return. And more than anything else, he promised us that when we are doing this, not only will we see God, but people will see God through us. He will, they will see that we are called sons of God. Jesus ended this section of his teaching that day, all those years ago, with these words. He said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others, Jesus said, so that they may see your, give work, your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine, Jesus said, in a very dark world. A couple years ago, Betty and I uh, had the chance to tour a cave down in Mexico. And it wasn't just any old cave. It was a cave that had water in it, which meant sometimes we were walking and sometimes we were swimming through that cave. I will never do that again. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but here was one of the interesting things in that cave. Uh, there were no lights in that cave. The only lights in that cave were the lights that we brought with us on our helmets. Each one of us had a helmet on with a little light on the top. Now, I know in that picture it looks like it's all lit up, but that was the flash from the camera, right? I mean, uh, really, the fact is, anywhere you went in this cave, whether you were neck deep in water or whether you were walking on dry land, it, the only light you brought with was that light on your helmets. And at one point, our guide had us gather kind of all in this one room in the cave, and he said, okay, now everybody read up to the switch on the top of your light, and on the count of three, we're going to turn those off all together. Are you ready? One, two, three, click, and it got dark. And I mean dark. Like you held your hand up in front of your face like this, and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was that dark, and that was really cool for about two seconds. <laughs> and then, I got to be honest with you, it felt like the walls were closing in on me. And uh, this little irrational voice in my head started going, there's something coming in the dark, there's something coming in the dark. And then another little irrational voice started saying, what if the lights don't work when we try to turn them back on? What are we going to do, right? And, and I instantly kind of like broke out in this cold sweat, you know? And, and honestly, I don't know how long I could have stood it. But then suddenly, in the middle of that darkness, our guide just flipped on his light. Now, first of all, I want to tell you, folks, there are people that are in darkness in the world around us. I don't mean literal darkness like we experienced in that cave. I mean, they, they, they feel like the world around them is dark. It has lost all color and, and ability to bring joy and happiness, and instead, all they feel is dread and there are little voices in their heads telling them that the world is crashing in on them, and they don't know where to turn. They feel hopeless. They feel just like I did in those moments in that cave. But all it took in that cave was that one little light, and it made all the difference in the world, right? Just that one little light on that one little helmet totally changed my perspective. There was just the sigh of, ah, oh, okay, we're going to be all right. Folks, you and I are invited to be that light. Jesus says to you and I that, that we can be the light of the world. We can be the light that brings hope to the world. The world uh, feels like it's just heading for disaster, doesn't it? 
But we as Christians, as believers, with God's love, God's truth, God's mercy, can be the light that brings hope and healing into people's lives. Now, it isn't easy. And again, over these next few weeks, we're going to talk in more practical ways about how actually we can do that, how we as Christians, who maybe have tried to disengage from the world around us, can see our opportunity to engage the world around us, but do it in a way that brings God's light, that brings God's hope, and in so doing, brings glory to our Heavenly Father. Now, normally when I uh, end a message, I, I ask you to bow your heads and, and I pray for us. But this morning, I want us to all pray together as I end this message, as we begin uh, this series and this journey together. Now, it, it's, a, it's a prayer that's often uh, attributed to St. Francis, but I did a little research and what I found out is we're not really sure who wrote this prayer. But it's a beautiful prayer, a beautiful way for us to commit to this mission that God has called us to be the light of the world, to be hope in a society that seems to be growing ever more polarized and painful. So I invite you to pray this prayer together with me. Let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life.